When you're sitting on the launch pad and suddenly you realize you forgot to don your fecal containment system, it's time to abort the mission and watch The Mythwits, the show dedicated to all things geek pop culture drenched in absurdity and coated with sarcasm. Every week we bring on an industry guest to talk about the ever-expanding geekiverse and or the scienceverse. We do our damnedest to be funny, but there are no guarantees. I'm your host, Mike Avis, and joining me on this episode somewhere deep in the bowels of Chattanooga, Tennessee, is my co-host, Peter Bryant. Hey, all. I'm in Chattanooga. What's what's in Chattanooga? I don't know. There's nothing. You there. are. Hey, but Mike, check it out. I forgot to mention when we did this the first time. <laughs> I, I'm drinking uh, Sweetwater 420. Remember oh, this stuff from uh, Dragon your, Con? You love Sweetwater. That is your favorite yes, beer. Yes, I All right. Stuff. And on this episode, we are talking with Bill Air, Air, Air ah, Bill Airy. Airy. <laughs> Bill is, you know, I'm having deja vu. Bill is recently retired from ILC Dover after 41 years of employment. He was responsible for all materials and final product testing of the spacesuits that the company made for NASA beginning with the shuttle program through the International Space Station. He also became known as the company historian who relates the stories of the early company years when they designed and made the Apollo spacesuits. His new book entitled Lunar Outfitters is under contract with the University Press of Florida and he hopes to have it released later this year. Bill, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's great being here. It is. Thank you for <laughs> trying to attempt to lift us off the floor of absurdity into uh, something sophisticated. You have your work We're so. almost in orbit. Yeah. <laughs> it's all it takes, right? All right. So before we get started, I want to ask you specifically, uh, what did you do? Uh, what your exact role is. You are involved in so many things um, now um, with the Apollo program, but what specifically was your job? Because just say that, you know, you were materials testing, uh, it makes it, uh, yeah. I don't know. Okay, tell us more about that. Yeah, so um, I'm kind of mechanically inclined. I, I really like that part of it. When I was in college, I was going to get into like psychology and all this other crazy stuff. And I ended up at the ILC and uh, just to pay my way through college. And they had an opening in the test lab and I thought, well, testing, that sounds pretty cool. I like testing things. I always worked on cars and stuff, and I thought that'd be a challenge. So I ended up in the lab, and, and we did test materials. So you would take fabrics. Everything was going in the spacesuit. and seems like if you had to sit, you know, you had to sew spacesuits together. But you don't just give it to the ladies out on the floor. They sew, and you hope it works. You have to do tensile testing. So I would get involved in testing all the materials. And um, so that was kind of the groundwork of it. I got involved. In, and then see what you're doing then, too, is you're working with all the engineers. So the engineers are trying to understand how to make things work in the suit. And you're working side by side with them. So it's really pretty cool because you're, you know, you're, there's kind of like a transfer of, of an intelligence there, you know. And, and, and face it, you know, you don't go to college and learn spacesuit design. you got to learn it from people that have worked it. So, you know, so, so we have mechanical engineers and we have aerospace engineers. But they can come out of the best colleges, but when they come there, they don't know how to make a spacesuit. They have to learn it. So I was kind of learning it. It was really cool. And then as time went on, I ended up getting in, into the other area of the lab where we tested the actual spacesuit. So, you know, then they, they build a spacesuit out of all these, these things you've been testing. Then you put someone in it and you cycle it and you test it and you make sure it holds up. 
And then over the years, I get to run the lab, and I've, I've got like 170 some hours of pressurized time in the spacesuit. So I've actually, you know, worn it, and it's really cool. And I actually, like back in the late 90s, uh, like 98, 99, they sent um, Gene Cernan's Apollo 17 spacesuit up. They have it in Houston that they still, the, the engineers in Houston at NASA still use that suit. It was his backup suit. It wasn't his flight suit. That's in the Smithsonian. But they sent his backup suit up to ILC, and I got to get in it and actually cycle it and try it and fit in it. You know, it was really, that was a rush for me. I mean, that was maybe, you know, a few hours of my life in an Apollo suit, but that was like the highlight. So, so anyway, I, so then I, I still, you know, I, all my years there, I've just got involved in all this testing. And, and I got to work with all the engineers that worked on the Apollo suit. When I started there in the late 70s, these guys uh, and ladies and the seamstresses and everybody, they had just gotten off the Apollo program a few years back. I was young at the time, but, you know, it wasn't that many years later. They were still working there. And they, they were really interested in telling the story. I mean, face it, if you worked on the Apollo suit and you designed it and you got to watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon in the suit that you made, you designed and you sewed it and all these people were there. And it was just, uh, it was just fascinating to me. I was like, I was like a little kid in a candy store. I was like, this is so cool. Why the hell would I go to college and major in psychology? You know? So, right. yeah, I mean, so that was a dead end there. So I just stayed there. And, uh, and then what happened was, I guess, because of all that, that, uh, interest that I had over the years, uh, as time has gone on and these people have left the company and they're like World War II veterans, you know, they're all dying and passing away. They're getting old and they don't recall the memories of it. And I was able to get records from the Apollo era and, and, and talking to them and all the years of being around them and studying it, I just got to really know the Apollo suit. And we actually have a couple at work that I can really study and, and understand. And so, um, it's just been a natural thing for me. And then, of course, this 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, I mean, the phone was just ringing off the hook. I retired on May 10th, and they didn't let me retire because they wouldn't let me go anywhere. They would just, like, sit by the phone and answer the phone. And, like, CBS would call. The Sunday morning show wanted to come in. Uh, ABC, NBC, the Today Show. All these people wanted interviews, and I was the go-to person to, you know, figure out what they wanted to do, who, who the people were to pull together and get it all organized and, and run it to ground. And uh, I just had a blast with that. It's been a lot of fun. Of course, you know, once the 50th anniversary ends, it's kind of like, well, that's it. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. So it'll be the 75th anniversary, and I won't be around for that. But so, wait a minute. so Bill, it's going to be just like, like, like Jack told us. That you, we go to the moon, right? And on the way back, they're already defunding it because nobody like, Oh, we did it. Nobody cares anymore. So after yeah. the 50th anniversary, you know, people are going to be like, yeah. okay, moving on. And instead of like, no, right. no, this is still really cool. What are you talking about? You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, I found that the people who are real geeks really like the space thing. They get it. And they, they don't see that as the end. Yeah. I mean, I went over, I don't know where you guys were, but I went over to DC on July 20th on the 50th anniversary uh, I found a hotel room over there. It was inexpensive. It was behind the Smithsonian. It was a Holiday Inn, and they actually had a room. We got it for Saturday night, and that was the anniversary date. Went down to the mall area where they were projecting that Saturn V on the side of the Washington Monument. There were 250,000 people there, they, they, they said the next day. And, uh, I mean, if you think that people are interested in this, I'm telling you, man, I couldn't get in the Smithsonian. It was just so packed that night. It was just crazy. So it's still a, a big seller. 
I know I do a lot of I do a lot of talks about the history of the Apollo program in general, not just the suits. And, it, and you spend a whole hour and a half talking, you know, two hours talking about the space race. But that's what people wrapped up in Kennedy's thing again in the moon by the end of the decade, beating the Russians. And so there are people that were just locked into that. They just wanted to see that happen. And so by the time Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon, it was like those people were like, yeah, we did it. Hey, we beat the Russians. And they were kind of done with it. And I think there was a lot of budget issues back then, too. And, they, you know, they, you have to watch the budget. So I get all that. Um, but there was a lot more to it than that. You know, it's the, oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to ask uh, Pete, did you see or get a chance to watch that little piece of video that I sent you? Um, before no. The show? Okay. Sorry. So, no, no. no Being no, on travel. Okay. And, yeah. and I'll just let you know, too, um, Bill, that it was just something from one of these, uh, an archive of um, from some museum. And it was um, actual footage that, that showed um, the women who were actually the, the, the uh, seamstresses and the tailors who were yeah. actually putting I've the seen parts it. together. Yeah. And yeah. it's just really amazing. And honestly, it just did not dawn on me. Like, oh, yeah. Like you were saying, nothing like this has ever been made before. There's not a mass you know, uh, uh, assembly line for these things, and they're probably never really will. Well, who's, who's to say that? There is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, it's well, common. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. And that was the challenge. And I, when I talk about it, I tell people, you know, there were the engineers that built the, the Saturn rockets, and they, they, they worked off of Warner von Braun and his V2 ideas, and that was developed over the years. And, and so if you were a mechanical engineer and you were really a rocket scientist, you could design these rockets, and it wasn't easy. I'm not making it sound like it was easy, but there were a lot of good engineers doing that. When it came to making a spacesuit, it, think about it. It's entirely different. You know, a spacesuit's fabric, okay? So you have a fabric suit, and it's got it's to make this astronaut, let this astronaut survive in the hostile environment on the moon in, or in deep space, and, and this suit can't fail. So you can't just have a lot of little sewer ladies here sewing seamstresses, sewing these seams together and, and, and think, hope that it'll work. There was so much engineering that went into this suit. Like I use the example of uh, when you think about a suit, it's pressurized, right? You have to have air pressure. We can talk about all that if you want, but but you have to have the air pressure, and and in that pressure, that that suit becomes a rigid object because as this air pressure. Think about the dynamics of what's going on that that energy that's stored in the suit. So, like for instance, the hardest one of the hardest challenges they had in designing the suit was the shoulder. If you think about a shoulder, it moves. It's flex extension, adduction, abduction, rotation. Think about all the things your body does. you got to make that work in a suit, okay? You can't just throw an arm on there, and that's what the early suits were. They were just like, ah, just sew an arm on there, and you got a suit. Well, when they inflated it, their arms were like this. They were, you know, they couldn't move. (laughs) Okay, that's why some of the early movies, I'm a a spaceman, you know? Right, they couldn't do anything, and they couldn't walk in it or anything else. So our company had this, uh, this procedure this method where they could take this this latex rubber and dip it into molds and make like accordion shape, what we call convolutes. And that made the suit bend and flex in all those areas where your body bends and flexes. And even when they thought they had that figured out in the 50s, uh, a guy by the name of A.N. Spinell was our, our brilliant engineer at the time that decided it'd be a good good uh, uh, project for a company to take on. Let's Hey, let's build a spacesuit. And when he did that in the fifties, he literally sat down on paper. He, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to devise the first spacesuit because he knew in the late fifties, we were going to go into outer space and there was no one else that, that had a suit. BF Goodrich and, and, uh, and uh, David Clark, they had pressure suits, but they, they didn't have a, a real true spacesuit. And he thought that even though the pressure suits were okay, those pilots were only had limited mobility because they were sitting in a cockpit. There's only so much they could do. 
So he ends up building this suit and uh, he put these accordion devices, convolutes in it and made for a really, you know, movable type uh, suit. It was really big at the time. They had to redo, you know, work it. So they design it and they, they build it, but you know, there were a lot of failures in the lab. And that's why the lab is fun to work in because if, if things are going to fail, like a spacesuit, you want to fail in the lab. Oh yeah. You want to fail 270,000 miles away on the moon. And um, that's what John Young, the astronaut that walked uh, on the moon said um, he would intentionally break the suit. His goal was to get in our suit in our lab and just tear the suit apart, break everything he could in the lab. And he did, he did a great job. We would cuss him out, you know, and all that, but you know what, uh-huh. he knew what he was doing and he broke it. And, uh, and any of these astronauts, I've talked to these Apollo astronauts over the years when I see them at, at conferences, I just came from uh, space fest out of Tucson. That's a big thing they do every year. That's really awesome. Um, and, and I'll see like Charlie Duke and those guys. And when I tell them who I am and introduce myself, we talk, uh, they'll say, you know, if you ever saw us on the moon and how we fell and tumbled and rolled about on the moon, um, he said, you know, Charlie Duke told me once, he said, I never had a, a worry at all about those suits. He said, I worried about the backpack because they were fiberglass. And if I fell on that, I could crack that shell. But he said, I would intentionally like twist as I was falling just to land on the suit part because he said, I knew it was going to hold up. He said, I had no, no problems with that. I didn't think it was going to fail. And it never did. We never had any problems with those policies. You know what, Bill? Bill, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Because, no, I'm serious. No, that's really important because if any of those astronauts had died because of suit failure, Right. That could have killed the program. Like they, oh. uh, a lot of people, are, I mean, we talked about this with Jack. We talked about this. I think we talked about this with Mike Mullane too, but it's, it's important to drive home the point that NASA, uh, right. So NASA costs a lot of money and it's very difficult and they will, they will cancel a flight for, you know, like just out of the blue, right. For, for even the minor things, but that's all because they have zero, there, there is zero tolerance for any kind of, of, of catastrophe. Cause you see what happens every time there's a catastrophe, the public goes nuts, right? Oh, yeah, we lose, yeah. we lose an astronaut on the moon and that's it. It's the end of the program, right? They have no yeah. room to fail. Yeah. Right. Also, right. We also wouldn't have this show, uh, tonight. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Nothing to talk about. Let's, let's get our priorities. Mike. <laughs> remember when we, remember when we tried to go to the moon? Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Uh, two, two quick questions. One, uh, what I've tried my damnedest to find out what ILC stands for. So I'm sure you must know. Yeah. What is ILC? Oh, yeah. Well, so it was founded in the 1930s by a guy in, uh, named uh, A.N. Spinell, and it was International Latex Corporation. Okay. So that's how it started, International Latex. And he was good at really uh, with the, the latex products. He did... Uh, uh, like, you know, back in the 30s, think about it. They had baby's pants, like instead of diapers, he had like rubber pants and stuff. You had weird, yeah, I know, it's gross to even think about. But, <laughs> but back then, you know, that was what it was. It was rubber stuff. Ladies had bathing caps, you know. Um, they had, everything was rubber. There was so many things that he made out of rubber. So he was really good at it. And then, then when uh, uh, Len Shepard, who was our, our, our brilliant engineer, I think I said A.N. Spinell earlier, but he was the founder of the company. When Len Shepard uh, designed the suit, uh, he took advantage of the, the dipping processes we had at ILC, and that's how he made that convolute, and that's what made the suit work. But interesting side story, uh, and this gets played up a lot in the media, and I kind of downplayed it a little bit, although part of it's true. Uh, you know, ILC, our division came from, uh, it was a division of ILC, and we were international ILC industries, but we were a subdivision of a company called Playtex. You know who Playtex was, right? Yes. Yeah. 
bras and girdles. So, you know, the, the media, the, there's a, there was a book written by a guy. I kind of helped him write the book, but he just played it up so much. Uh, uh, Fashioning Apollo uh, by Nicholas de Monchot. And he played it up real big that, you know, it was done by uh, you know, a company that made bras and girdles and now look, they're making spacesuits. Well, it didn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, our engineers on that side of the house, you know, a bra and girdles is not the same as a spacesuit. So, you know, and he tried to associate that and others do too. But I, however, I will say that, that we had like Eleanor Foraker, we had some seamstresses that were really great seamstresses and they came over from the Playtex side to help us uh, sew the suits and everything because they were seamstresses they knew the production methods and stuff. So, uh, you know, they just brought their skills and talents, but yeah, had nothing to do with the Boston girls. I have a, a, a quick side question. Um, <laughs> did uh, ILC also design the um, equipment that NASA uses currently to interact with the moon rocks, the same sort of biomedical type, you know, environmental <laughs> field stuff? No, no, not really. Uh, we did a lot of other little things for NASA. We did some uh, uh, <clears throat> constant wear garments. We did things like that for the astronauts. But And we probably did some other little side things that I, I don't even uh, I forget about. But, no, we didn't do the moon rock type stuff. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, hey, I, was, hey, I, I checked out your company, and uh, it, it's pretty neat. To all they, the different they do a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of crazy things from airships to gas masks to, yeah. You know different. what, though? It all plays together. It totally makes sense, you know, because if, if when when you start extrapolating, and this is why you know going to the moon and going to Mars and and and, and not just sending robots, but sending people too is important. It, a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of other technologies, a lot of other things come out of oh, yeah. these programs. You know, when they say, "Well, why do we need to send people?" It's like, do you have any idea what has come from yeah, all right. like sending someone somewhere? It's so hard to send a human into oh, these yeah. environments that. You know, it, it the amount of knowledge and the amount of advancement and the amount of things that you, you, you watching this show right now use every single day. We I'm wouldn't be able to do this show. This show no, well, happens because of the space program. I, I'm talking to you on my little laptop right now with this technology right. that wouldn't have existed if it weren't for the miniaturization of electronics that had to happen during the Apollo era. I mean, we had great big room-sized computers. They had to figure out, MIT and these other people had to figure out how to reduce this, this size down. And, and, and then that led to the all, all the electronics we have nowadays. So you can argue that all you want. There's so many different side things that came out of it, like fire protection for firefighters, um, uh, the list goes on. I mean, there was uh, some study done by some company. It was independent. They had no tie with NASA. Uh, but they, they said they, they report how many billions of dollars came out of the space program that because of that. How many spinoffs? Even within our company, we had different uh, items, products that we built and delivered over the years that were uh, just like the cool suits. We had to build a liquid cooling garment for the Apollo suit. Well, we ended up doing a cooling garment that went to industry. And that's just one little example. We're just one little company i mean you think about all the companies that did this stuff and think about you know like I, I'm, I'm certain that firefighters probably use the cool suit tech that firefighters the modern day firefighter probably owes his life to spacesuit design yeah everything I the backpacks uh, the, the air systems breathing systems and all that and again it's just one little example of so many different industries and different things that have uh, prospered by uh you know off the space program so what uh, materials came 
um, out of the the spacesuit development or early, you know, like right before that. Like I'm thinking, which when I, uh, Pete and I both went to a science engineering high school, so uh, we were yeah. taught literally. We had an entire class on polytetrafluoroethylene, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there are very few people that actually know that. Uh, te- Teflon, uh, Pete, uh, was it uh, Lycra already existed? But, Lycra, uh, yeah. Um, nylons and nylons and all, all these materials. Tyvek did what did Tyvek exist before that uh no probably not and we didn't we didn't put that in our suit but uh uh you know so so getting into the materials we uh ILC chose materials are already out there uh DuPont and that's the interesting story too because you know Delaware is a small state ILC is a small company within the small state and then the suit the 21 layers out of like 23 layers of the Apollo suit were all materials that DuPont developed Okay. And it was it, it was the Teflon, it was the nylons, it was the, the uh, mylar films and different things that they came up with. Uh, but interestingly enough, there's only one material, and actually we didn't even that material wasn't even invented for the spacesuit. But the the uh, beta cloth was on the outside of the Apollo suit. Uh, you know, if you recall the Apollo one fire that killed the astronauts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that suit was a that was a Gemini style suit that was built by David Clark. They were going to build the first suits to get us to the moon, and then our job at ILC was to build what was called the Block Two suits that were going to put Neil and Buzz and all the other moonwalking astronauts on the moon. So that gave us some cushion. It gave us some time to build the suits while they used the first Apollo missions with the David Clark suit. Well, what happened was the Apollo one fire happened and they were, they killed the astronauts. They were wearing a, uh, a Nomex covered uh, suit and the Nomex they thought was going to be I mean, Nomex, right? Great stuff. It'll, it'll take high temperatures. Well, the inside of that, that cockpit, the capsule there got up to about a uh, thousand degrees. It was 1200 degrees. And the, the, the Nomex is only good at maybe up to 900. So, NASA stopped everything. Remember when they had the Inquisition? I mean, they, they had all the Congress and Frank Borman jumped in and he did a great job from the astronaut side saying, okay, guys, how do we fix this? Kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier, Peter, about, you know, um, uh, failures and, and, you know, whether we, but that was a good example of a failure that they looked at and said, okay, we're going to learn from this and move on. So they did and they moved on. And, um, so they came to us and said, okay, ILC, we're going to have you build all the Apollo suits, but because we have to do such a major redesign on the suit, because we want these astronauts to be able to get out of the capsule if there is a fire on the launch pad. So we went to Owens Corning. Uh, they were making uh, this material made out of woven uh, fiberglass, and they were, they were experimenting on how to sell it. Uh, Owens Corning was going to like uh, make drapes for hotel rooms. So, you know, because everybody smoked back then. So if you were smoking in your hotel room, the drapes wouldn't go up, which is by and bedspreads and all that stuff, I guess. Uh, okay. So they were, they were trying to market that and um, I, uh, unsuccessful. I don't think it was kind of a, a tough material to work with. But we looked at it and we said, you know what, maybe that material worked for the outer garment of the spacesuit. And that's what we did. We got that material and we worked with Owens Corning to develop it. So, so that was kind of a uh, kind of a unique material we used, but we never went to anybody and said invent a material for the suit. We just used what was out there, and uh, but, but but you know it, it's interesting. Think about it because the timing was right. I mean everything was just coming together. I mean the Dupont had invented all these these great materials. Mm. Here we were going to the moon. And we needed these materials, and it all just fell into place. So I guess serendipity. I don't know. It just happened to work out, but it worked. Okay. All right. Very cool. So, you know, we've, we've skipped, there's something we have skipped over a, a little bit. We've got a little ahead of the, a little ahead of the curve on this, but 
let's talk about what makes what is a spacesuit. So it's 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 an environment. It's its own environment. So you're you're taking yeah. your own little planet. You're floating in space in your own little planet uh, yeah. or spaceship, uh, which which is like its own little planet. Um, yeah. What all goes into it? So we got I know we got yeah, yeah. we got yeah. pressure. We got temperature. We got air. Yep. Food? They eat? Tell yeah, me they, well, they, not anymore. They used to. See, let me tell you a little about it. Okay, so okay. you start um, with, uh, yeah, so all the basics you have to guard against, you're right, you have the pressure. You have to be pressurized within the suit. So the pressure adds all that, that strain to the suit because the suit's pressurized. So it, it's adding all this this uh, loading into the suit. So you pressure. Then you have to have oxygen, right, because uh, you're exhaling. The exhaled carbon dioxide only goes down in the suit, and it has to come back up, get scrubbed out, along with moisture that's in the suit. So the backpack has to recycle all that, put it back in the suit as oxygen again. And, and you know, the thing is, you got to remember, uh, here on Earth, we're at 14.7 pounds per square inch, right? We have air pressure all around us. Even in Chattanooga, I think it's a safe pressure. So I think so. Feels like we're at... A little lighter. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe a little lighter. So, um, so anyway, you need that pressure. Now, when you go into space, when you're in, let's say, on the moon during Apollo, your suit is only pressurized at 3.8 pounds per square inch. You're not at 14.7 like you are in that room. You're at 3.8. So you're way down in pressure. So think of it in terms of molecules, right? You have oxygen molecules in the suit. If you had what you're breathing now, which is 21% oxygen and nitrogen, 21% uh, uh, fewer, all that fewer number of molecules of oxygen, you would suffocate. You wouldn't have enough. Yeah. So they take all nitrogen out, give you pre- fresh oxygen. So that's enough to keep you alive. So, that, But you need to be that pressurized. You need to be pressurized so you can breathe it, get it into your lungs, and have everything working. Um, I use the example of soda pop bottle. If you take the lid off, after you shake it, what happens? It all comes out of solution. Yeah. So if you pop your glove off on the moon, right. you're going to look like a soda pop bottle, right? You've got to be right. fizzing out. Not literally, but right. but that'd be a problem. So you don't want that. That'd be ugly. So so you need pressure. So you need oxygen. You need pressure. There's uh, micrometeoroids in space and on the moon. So micrometeoroids are very, very small particles that travel like 22,000 miles an hour, okay? So I forget how many feet per second it is, but it's from here to California in a second, you know? So these things can hit the suit, and we designed the suit. So you'd think that, oh, my God, you need a suit of armor to protect against it. But we're talking about very, very small particles. And if you looked at it under a microscope, when they hit the suit, they explode on the surface because of that energy release. And those little particles that go through the first couple layers, there's a lot of layers of luminized mylar through there mm-hmm. and some spacer material. And by the time it gets through the first few layers, it's slowed down enough so it wouldn't penetrate the suit. But you right. have to account for that. So that outer layer has to be pretty tough material to break up those out those, that, that micrometeorite. And that beta cloth did it. There was a Teflon layer, and they were sufficient enough to do that. Um, Hey, so, Bill, before, before you go past yeah. that, and oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. I'm not that's fine. Just because I don't want to speed past this. Sure, sure. How did how did you test that? How did you how did was it? Well, did you did you test that, or did you go? Ah, it should be okay. Well, that's where the relationship between industry and NASA works out real good because see, they turned to us to build the suits. But we have to turn back to them sometimes and say, will this work? Because we don't know. So we, we're not going to invest in a billion dollars in a lab to fire micrometeorites at, at you know, space okay. suit samples. So what we do is we, we predict what we think will work, and we'll give it to NASA. They take the white sands to Mexico. They'll yeah. fire, they, they fire things at it. They do all kinds of things down there in their labs. And then they come back to us and say, well, five layers of luminized mylar is just enough. Four is not enough, and six is too much, so you're good. So that tells us what to do. So we do depend on NASA for that stuff. Okay, great. Sorry. All right, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, good. That was, good that's, 
Because that, that's, that's something I always imagine. Yeah. Like, if I was an astronaut and I was on the moon, and I know there's no at, there's no atmosphere, right? But there's I enough know. gravity on the moon to pull stuff towards me, right? And you've right. got things flying in space at you know any speed whatsoever because there's nothing to stop it other than gravity, right? Yeah. right? And I've got these little particles flying at me at like ah, 30,000 miles an hour, you know, yeah. and f, f equals ma. So there's a lot of you know, but okay. but they're tiny, so okay, yeah. so that, yeah, very small. And the other thing is radiation, right? So yeah. that's why the aluminized mylar is in there. It reflects that radiation away. Like I tell, you know, kids and adults when I do my talks, it's like a mirror. It's reflecting that radiation away. So you have enough layers of that. And getting back to what I just said, you give to, to NASA and they test all that to make sure that those number of layers is going to work. So then you have touch temperatures, okay? Like you don't have any air, right? It's no convection. So, but you have conduction. So if I grab a tool, let's say, uh, you know, I got a handrail. I'm on the space station today and I'm up there and let's say I'm, I'm in the daylight and I touch that handrail, that touch temperature is going to be about uh, 280 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, as that, as that space station is going around the Earth at, at uh, 18,000 miles an hour, and every hour and a half, as it's halfway around, it's getting in the shadows, it's, all that heat's going to go away. It's going to radiate away. So the temperature of that handrail is going to go down to uh, about minus 180, 190, uh, below zero Fahrenheit. So we, I just so happen to have a glove here. So, oh, cool! So, oh, huh? Very cool. So, so this out now. This is a current glove. It's not like the the, the Apollo glove, but but the Apollo glove had a little. Remember the uh, silicone finger caps? Well, this has it too. But we put silicone all over this now, and so when I'm grabbing that handrail, the silicone right here won't melt at the high temperature and it won't crack at the low temperature. Oh, so cool. um, and and it's uh, so and 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 also pretty cool stuff. Like you notice this little cable right here. This goes to a cable that goes up into the backpack, and there's a 12-volt battery back there, and it provides power to some heaters. Now, I have this thing turned inside out. I, this is the outer layer. So this is that same thing I just showed you turned inside yes. out. Yes. I don't really cool. see this, but see these fingertips? Yes. yes. They're, they're, they're heaters. They're little fingertip heaters. Because what happens is, and you see all the little wires? And they mm -hmm. go to the cable, and the cable, again, supplies the power of these. And there's a little switch in between that sits on the outside of the glove so that I can turn it on and off. There's a little switch, and I can apply the voltage to the heaters. So what happens is when those astronauts are touching that handrail and it's minus 180, the conduction through the glove, even though there's a lot of layers here, and it works like a mitt that, you know, when you're picking up your hot pan off the stove, mm -hmm. your, your hand, the, the chief complaint we had on the early missions was their hands were getting too cold. So we did these little heaters so they can turn on the heater element and warm their fingers up. So that's one of the slick little things we came up with, and those are the, the kind of challenges we have. So, so there's the temperature deal. You yeah, have the touch temperature. So those are the, those are the major issues with the suit. Um, I can't stress enough the loads that are in the suit because you not only have the pressure loads, but let's say you're John Young and you're in that suit and you want to bust it in the lab. He, would, he did this little deal where he'd uh, stand up, and he wanted to get a rock that was on the ground. So he would practice by jumping up a little bit and then splaying his legs apart so that he could put all the force and the weight of the suit down and overcome that pressurized mm. suit like a balloon and grab that, that rock that was on the, on the lunar surface. And when he did that, he busted apart these big cables we had in the legs that were taking all the loads. And we had to go back and try to re-engineer that. And we did so much work on that. And then finally we realized... And NASA realized, they told us to stop. They said, time out, because we were spending a lot of money on it at their request. And it turns out, if you think about it, John Young's doing this in a, in a lab at, at 1G, right? Think about the moon. You're up there on the moon. You're in one-sixth gravity. 
So even with all his weight, the weight of the suit and everything, it was a lot less than what it was on, on Earth here. So he was never able to apply those loads into the suit. And it wasn't until we were a good ways into testing, spent a lot of money that NASA finally said, time out. We don't need to worry about that. But you always have to worry about the loads that go into the suit because if if you're grabbing a satellite, let's say you're on the space station or, or you know, on the shuttle years, they were uh, launching satellites and retrieving them. They were grabbing them and trying to pull them. And, and you know, there's no um, there's no gravity up there, right? But you have mass. And people forget about the mass thing. You know, you're trying to grab a very heavy object. And you're pulling it. Well, not only do you have the, the plug loads in the suit of the pressure, but now you have the man loads of the suit where you're yanking at this thing. And so these suits have to take a lot of of stress and strain without busting parts in it because if it busts you got a bad day yeah. <laughs> it's probably your last day <laughs> all right all right so peter so why don't Mike, you get yeah. uh get uh paul's two questions in yeah okay all right yeah i was i was just gonna go to the chat room all right so so first off so here's a it's a funny question but it's important okay paul was asking are the the rest of the body and the head cut off from each other so i know where he's going with this so let's say i'm in space and i'm a little gassy do i am i i'm in my own environment do i am i hot boxing myself yeah okay so here's the deal you don't have to worry about it because the deal is the air comes in this is a very serious question, guys. Don't laugh. Right, I know. I no, no, the questions. Paul asked like four questions, Pete. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But this is important. I mean, if you're in the space, everyone's thinking about this. Stop it. This, right, go ahead, this could cause someone to not be an astronaut. They don't know the yeah. answer. So, so, so you have that the pressure helmet, right? So the air comes in from the back neck ring in the back and it washes up over your face and pushes down into the suit. And that's the fresh air from the backpack, right? Okay. So it's all filtered. It's all fresh oxygen. It comes in and pushes the air down into the suit. So when you're exhaling, you're not going to steam up your visor because it's fresh air blowing over. Right? It's like, like think of your defroster in your car, right? Sure, yeah, so yeah. it's blowing down into the suit. So if you have a little gas problem or something, it's going to get circulated back up through some ducting that takes it out of the lower parts of the suit back to the backpack, and you don't need to worry about it. So it's a positive pressure situation, basically. Yeah. Yes. Well, not only that, but you got you know you've got like like Bill saying you've got your your breath has air has moisture in it, and if it didn't if it didn't push that past, you would you would fog up your then would no way you get around that. Right. Plus, right. You're, you're, don't forget, you're sweating in the suit, too. So all that moisture has got to go back into the backpack. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're not sweating too bad. That liquid cooling garment does a great job, but you're going to get hot in there. So, Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm God, There's like a thousand comments. Oh, here. Um, yeah. No, that's no, great. It's great. Everybody's, everybody's happy with this. All right. So he, uh, another one was, have you ever done any work with prop? Like, have you ever assisted any like meat like uh, uh movies or anything like tv shows yeah, or whatever yeah, with cool. and stuff to, to get it right yeah okay so um so a couple years ago and the movie wasn't that great i i have to say but 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 a couple years ago a guy calls me and he said he uh he does the sound um and they, what's the name of the guy who does the sound in movies uh uh he has a name title yeah. anyway he called me from uh the grip, yeah. He calls me from Universal. Lights. Right, anyway, God, I'm sorry. Hey, yeah, I don't know. He he calls me from Universal Studios. Foley. And he says, he says, listen. He says, um, I'm doing a movie, and I want to get I want to get the sounds of the helmet and the gloves going on an Apollo suit. But I'm calling museums, and they won't let me near their suit. I said, well, I can understand that. I said, yeah. I got a suit here. So there's this moment, this little pause, and he says, You're kidding? You got a space? You got an Apollo suit there? I said, Yeah, we made them. I got a couple here. Still, he says, Really? 
I said, yeah, I got a helmet. I got gloves. And he was freaking out at this point. He says, well, I, so I want to get the sounds of this. We're doing this movie called First Man. It was about Neil Armstrong. You might remember that. It came out a couple a year ago, whatever. And so um, I said, okay. So he flew in. He took the red eye like the next night. He flew into Philadelphia, drove down. Um, and we spent the day on a Saturday from 8 o'clock till about 5 o'clock that whole day doing nothing but putting the helmet on the suit putting air into the suit, taking the helmet off the suit, putting the glove on the suit. We did this over and over and over while sound guy recorded it and, and downloaded the file and sent it to the Alfred Hitchcock theater at universal studios. And they played it back and they kept getting it. So they, they kept doing it. So they got it perfect. So they, they, they did that. And that was all the sounds in the movie. First man you hear are the, or when I was making it all. Now, one other thing, there's a movie coming out called Ad Astra with Brad Pitt. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones, it's coming out. They called me about oh, three years ago. This has uh, been in the can for a long time. And they said, hey, um, how do you test spacesuits? I said, what do you mean? He said, do you have a panel? This, this woman, she was the designer, set designer. She said, do you, um, do you like use panels to pressurize suits? I said, yeah. I said, uh, I couldn't figure out where she's coming from. I said, you're trying to do this for a movie? I said, yeah. She said, yeah. I said, is it like a, like a futuristic movie or something past? Because we have old panels here. We still use panels we used during Apollo. They're not old, but they work. So, so she said, well, our producer, our director, he, he kind of wants uh, uh, just a sexy-looking pressure panel. So I started sketching it out. And I, sent her, I, I kept thinking she'd go away. She's kind of annoying in a way, but I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> So I kept doing it and doing it. Finally, like make a long story short, about six months later, she sends me an email one day, and I'm here at home, and I open it up. And they built this whole panel to exactly the way I told them to do it, digital readouts and everything. And they built three of them. And at the top of the panel, it's got a little tag on it. And she zoomed in on it for one of the pictures. And it says, Bill Airy Enterprises. Nice. <laughs> it's going to be in the Ad Astra movie. That is awesome, Bill. That is fantastic. So, so I, I asked her, I said, hey, when this is done, there's three panels. Can I, like, buy one somehow? And I told my wife I'd like to bring it home and put it in my garage in my basement and put, like, a keg underneath of it. And because there was a little bin underneath and put a keg in it and have like his attack. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, that they should that's... give it to you. They should they give should. it to you. Well, because they, they didn't pay you for your, your advice, yeah. right? No. Well, they, 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 pay, they paid me and they asked if I want to donate it to a charity. What was I going to say? And that was good. Oh, so right, I, yeah. I did. I donated a. You know, well, they should money. donate that panel to you. Is what they should yeah, you All right. Right. Yeah. All right. So we got one more. Um, uh, and this this is uh, this is probably talking to future suits, and we'll get we're going to get there soon. We have to. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, uh, Huds. So like like displays on this on the on the right. helmet. Is that is that a? I, I imagine. All right. So I I you know people say oh yeah why don't you do that? I imagine it's very complicated. Is that a thing that's happening? Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. Uh, so let me just say this. You know, um, our suits that we build now were developed back in the late 1970s, early 80s. So they're really old suits. But, you know, sometimes NASA goes by the adage, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and, and so the mission hasn't changed, right? We go from the space shuttle program to the space station program. And really, what's changed? Not a whole lot. It's just the way we get up there. But if you do a spacewalk, it's literally the same thing. You're just going open the door. You're going around the Earth, right? Uh, zero gravity. And so NASA is very pleased with our suit. But the problem is NASA is on a very tight budget. You know, if you look back on what they really should have done, and they probably even admit to it, they should have funded money, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago to start having us develop a next generation suit. 
That's not cheap to do. That's a lot of money because we have to, in fact, our company, ILC uh, Dover, if you look at our website, you'll see that we've just released some different ideas, two ideas on an intravehicular suit, which is worn inside the spaceship, and a right. new extravehicular suit. So we're already out there trying to pitch that. We didn't take any NASA money for that. We just did it on our own, said, hey, here's a next generation suit, NASA, do you like it? And so we're hoping that they're going to bite into it. And one of the things, getting back to your question, you definitely want new technology. We're working off very old technology, but that's because that's what NASA wants, okay, because they can't afford it. They're, they're smart enough to know that if we're going to do this, we need next-generation suits are going to have to have heads-up display, electronics built into them, right, maybe monitoring your health, um, uh, maybe, uh, um, you know, uh, there's all kinds of things you can put into a suit. The heads-up display is a simple thing. That's not going to be hard to do. They can do Microchips okay. and okay. stuff. Chipped. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, checklist, you know, checklist. They could have a little checklist on the wrist. They just punch buttons and it's just automatic. It's just, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And um, so to so talking about the, the two suits you were just talking about, that was in my in our notes that um, I just find this awesome that, that you, have, you have you have two suits that you're you're going to make commercially available. So you said NASA, but it doesn't have to be NASA. Anyone could buy it. Right. I mean, you had right. that guy. What was it? Neil? Was it Neil Baumgartner? Was that the guy that you no, did the jump? No. Or was the other guy that did the jump? That yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So it was um, uh, the, the fellow from Google, Alan Eustace. That's it. Okay. Uh, Alan Eustace came to us a number of years ago and said he had a plan for jumping, uh, doing the highest uh, altitude jump from ended up being 25 miles up and beating uh, Felix Baumgartner. And uh, so he was serious. He had a lot of money. Baumgartner came to us, but he didn't. He wanted us to sponsor him. He wanted a lot of freebies. And I get oh, that. right. But, but but we weren't gonna. We don't do freebies. You know, it's nice. We don't. We don't need the business doing freebies. So. Right. Um, so we ended up with uh, Alex or Alan Eustace. He had a plan. He was a really intelligent guy. I mean, he was vice president of Google, right? Guy wanted a slacker. So he said, you know, I have this idea. Instead of everybody's going up in these big gondolas, right? He said, I have this idea where I'm just going to take everything and put it just integrated into my suit. I'm just going to put the life support on there and, and I'll, I'll lose so much weight off this thing. I'll get this thing down to as the lowest weight I can possibly get. And then this balloon is going to take me up a lot higher. And that's exactly what happened. This balloon took him up uh, well over what uh, Baumgartner did. And uh, he was all certified. The, you know, he broke all the records. And, and if you think about it, uh, someone told me that it's, it's almost impossible to get anything lighter anymore because you still have to have this life support to get you up there. Right. So even if someone makes a little bit lighter suit or a little bit lighter, lighter life support, if you only go like 20 or 30 uh, feet higher or some, you know, you don't beat any records until you're a significant portion. I don't know what that number is, but it's going to be, that record's uh, going to be hard to break for a number of years. Right, All right. right. I got, I got a question. Um, yeah. And that question is uh, regarding when, when you were designing this stuff, there's a couple of things. First, uh, did you guys basically have to design things special for the fittings and connectors, like especially how the gloves click in um, and the, the suit, you know, the, um, the top and the bottom, the torso come together? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we were the prime contractor on Apollo. We depended on a lot of subcontractors. Now we did do our own hardware for the, the bearing in the arm, which was a very critical part of the suit. I could go on about that, but uh, we did develop that and, and build it in house. However, there's a company called Airlock in, in Milford, Connecticut, and they, they nail it as far as hardware goes. There's no one any better than them. They're really, really expensive, <laughs> but they're really good at what they do. They make uh, just uh, top-notch hardware. So we went to them during Apollo, and they were actually probably doing some of the stuff during Gemini missions too. So they had already you know, made a name for themselves in the hardware business. And we went to them with the Apollo suit business and gave that them the business. They were subcontractored us to build uh, the, the helmets, um, the pressure helmets. They do those. Um, the extravehicular visor helmets for the uh, uh, Apollo program were done by Ling Temco Vought LTV, um, uh, but that ended up during Skylab being uh, airlock. But today they do all the disconnects for the gloves, the helmet, um, all the air connectors on the suit. Um, today's suit has the waist bearing assembly and and the disconnect at the waist. That's all airlock. So yeah, we just you know they do such a great job. We just we just go through them. And is, is that right, so, metric or standard measure that you guys uh, use as far as designing the suits? Well, it's getting to be metric anymore. You know, it should be metric. Mike, let me tell you, as an engineer, as an, as, okay, so as a, as a born and bred American who's grown up, you know, throughout the years, English is easier for me to imagine whatever, just because we use it all the time. But as an engineer, metric is the way to go. Christ, I wish they would have never taught us English. I wish yeah. we would have switched. Because yeah. when you're an engineer and you're working with metric, it is so nice. Easier, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you much know, easier. I'm back from that old school where they taught us English stuff, and that's all That's all I know. I, it's not all I know, but that's what I kind of focus on, you know. It's, but your brain converts it automatically. Like, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. you know, I do it in metric, and then I go, okay, what does that mean in English so I can understand it? Right. And I feel, yeah. I'm like, oh, why do I have to do this? Metric is so much a better it's such a better it system it is oh yeah definitely so right so i have i have uh, a couple things so there was this guy i had his name here but it's uh the, the italian astronaut who had a leak in his suit and luca he was Parmitano. that's it yeah luca right yeah. he was and he was he was literally drowning in space and he was. and um he, he managed to keep his head cool and i think he got back to the ship yeah. you know in yeah. time but there was i remember i think i was reading um uh, a, a book about this, but he could have conceivably in space opened his visor and let the water out. Right. I mean, he could have like, he could have wiped his face and closed no. it back up. My understanding. No. Right. No. Okay. No. no. Okay. Cause I, no. somebody was talking about that. That was a thing that you, you don't want to do, but you could conceivably do and survive. No, I would not want to ever, ever try that. Um, so there's a purge valve on the side okay. of the helmet. Maybe you were thinking if someone's told you about a purge valve, that's a possibility, yeah, but I've know. never heard that before because it wouldn't be very long before you just lose consciousness. I wouldn't even ever try that. Um, that was a dicey situation. Chris Cassidy was his spacewalking uh, partner out there. And, uh, what happened was the primary life support system in the back, the backpack, that's that's not built by us. Uh, that's built by Hamilton Standard, Hamilton Sunstrand. Now it's uh, uh, 
uh, I forget they change their name again. They change their name every few years. I don't remember. I forget, I forget who they are now. Anyway, they built a backpack. What happened was we, you know, we were taking backpacks up on the shuttle, bringing them back and servicing them, then flying them again. And now these backpacks are up there on the station for long duration. The thing that they forgot about was the fact that there's there's separators in the backpack that they, they were cleaning on the ground, but they couldn't clean on orbit, and they got plugged up. And so the, the remember that water we were talking about, the sweat. Mm-hmm. And, the breath and all that it gets it hits this area in the back where they separate that water from the air okay. it didn't get separated because these, this area was plugged up so the water just started coming back in over his remember i told you it comes in over the back of your neck ring and blows sure, down yeah. the face. well that's exactly what happened the first oh, he's thing getting water blowing down all the water is blowing down and you can see it clinging to everything because water you know has that surface tension and it was right. grabbing onto the comm carrier and everything and uh, Chris Cassidy uh, and Luca, they, they realized this is a problem. So yeah. they got him back just in time. Yeah, Because right. there's there's no gravity to pull this. It's not, it's not, it's not going to, like, fall down, like, drip down your face. It's just going to no. hang out. And it's just flowing in by the air. The air flow is coming down. Now, that's why I say that there's a purge valve on the side of the helmet. And it could be that they were talking about opening that purge valve, and it would take some of the air and blow it out that way. Okay. It might have worked, but there's no way. It, the only way to get to your face is you have to disconnect the helmet. And when okay. you do, all the pressure in the suit's going to shoot that helmet up. And one of the oh. first things we learn when you're working with suits is you always pop a glove off first to relieve the pressure because that way, when you pop the helmet, it's not going to come up and take your nose off because that's what would happen. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Uh, and so the, here's the, here's another one because this, this came up. And it's interesting because... Um, as you know, you may not know this, but as our fans know, stuff, we also do a lot of gaming. Like I do a lot of gaming stuff and we, we have a lot of gaming fans and stuff. So we make, uh, one of the things that I do is I, I make role-playing games and in a role-playing game, you have to, you're simulating, you're simulating real life. A lot of times you're trying to figure out how to do that in a game. So yeah. one of the things that came up, this, it just came up today as I was reading one of our documents and it pertains to our discussion. What they were talking about doing a halo jumps, you know, and, and people breathing like pure oxygen and the astronauts do that too. And, um, right. and Paul had asked this question, why do they have to breathe, you know, why do they have to have this, this standby time to go out? And it's because they're breathing pure oxygen. And as I understand it, the reason is, is because they're purging all the nitrogen out That's of their exactly system. Right. That's right. Because nitrogen, at pre- when, when pressure gets uh, changes with nitrogen, it can form bubbles in your system. It can, right. it can, it can absorb into your system and they can form bubbles as it comes out. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what they're doing. They breathe pure oxygen to get all the nitrogen out of their system. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's like, uh, it's like the divers get the bends, right? Yeah. It's the same, it's the same process. Um, you know, the astronauts on the space station are, are breathing 21% oxygen and nitrogen and they're 14.7 pounds per square. It's just like we are here on earth because, you know, they've got to live up there for like six months or sometimes a year at a time. So they want right. to be really comfortable when they go in that airlock and they're going to go down to 4.3 in our current suit. That's 4.3 pounds per square inch. They have to pre-breathe the oxygen to get all that nitrogen out. So then they're in the suit, but it takes a couple hours to do that. So the idea is like our next generation suit, if we can run that suit at about eight to nine pounds per square inch, uh, you're only going from 14.7 down to eight or nine PSI. And physiologists have said that 
That way you don't have to pre-breathe pure, pure oxygen. Uh, I've heard that, I've heard him say, well, maybe that's not true, maybe a little bit, but you can really cut that time down. So that's the right. next generation suit that we're building has to be able to operate at eight PSI. And you think, well, what's the, what's the big deal? Why don't you just go from four, three, up to eight, three or something. But it's amazing. When you get into a space suit and you try to flex the elbow and you build all these joints and make them work, that, right. that doubling in pressure is a major issue in the joints if you don't build them right. So our next generation suit will have joints that will flex much easier. Right. So I imagine, I imagine you've got to cringe whenever you see a movie that now not in the future because future is whatever whatever they do, yeah. however it happens. Right. But but like like anything that's even close to like today, where uh-huh. they just oh we got to get out of here and they just jump in a suit. And go yeah, out into right. space. It's like no, you're going to die. Right? Well, you know, yeah, well, it's conceivable though because if they could be, they could be in a, in a habitat that's at lower pressure, right, and breathing not pure oxygen all the time, or they could be in a suit that they get in that's uh, running at the higher pressure at, at eight or nine psi. And you could you could do that. So so yeah, it's conceivable. I have a tough time when I go to movies because you know, like the movie Gravity. Yeah, uh, I, went no. night, I went to that movie and um, you know, <laughs> so I, I'm not good at those things. You know, it's like anything you know. If you know something real well and you go to see a movie, it's like, come on, get yeah. with it. And my wife, my wife me. gets mad at me. She's like, I can't go to movies with you half the time because you go to the movie and if it's a science movie, you're there. Blah, 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 blah. They can't right. do this. That's not right. They'd be dead. Stop, <laughs> yeah, right. Stop it. Enjoy the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, for whatever reason, I know my sound is really weird. Uh, it won't be like that probably in the podcast version because it'll be yeah. my local copy. That's we'll, we'll we'll fix yeah. this, Mike. I don't know why you sound good here. Yeah, for whatever good. reason, yeah. Facebook land is not getting a good signal from from you. We are. Yeah, hey, we're doing we're doing great. We're doing great. I got this very, I got this very expensive setup here. It's it's incredibly expensive, and that's why it's working. In high so. tech. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it so expensive? It's making me sound like crap. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to say it, but you know. Okay. Know. All right. So uh, you were talking about. You guys doing um, a lot of design and um, modifications through the Apollo missions. I was curious if, when you guys started getting the designs, or did they even let you know what the the specifications for, like the um, the service and command module and the lunar module? When did you guys go? Oh crap! We're gonna have to ch- make some modifications based on the fact that yeah. it's this small or it's this right. Right. these types of things. They have to have certain dexterity that we didn't think they were gonna need to have. Right. That's a really good question. Um, yes, I give you credit for that. That's great. Um, <laughs> was that, was that uh, one of the listeners there, or was that you? That was that? that was all me, bud. All me. Wow, that's great. So, so yeah, that's a big point uh, because we had engineers that were working at. Grumman up in, in uh, on Long Island. It was designing the um, lunar module, and we had an engineer at um, North American Rockwell who's doing the command module. Okay, mm-hmm. and and our early suits they were really wide in the shoulders. Okay, and if you've ever been to the Smithsonian or any of the museums and seen the inside of a uh, well, of course, of Mercury and Gemini, they're really small. But even the even the Apollo command modules, three side by side, were pretty narrow. Those little couches were like this. There wasn't much to them. So our early suits, I had a good friend of mine, uh, uh, John McMullen, he was hired out of college, and, and he was told to go out, he was a systems engineer, he was told to go out to North America and watch the first pressurization of one of our suits in, in the command module. He goes out there, and he's looking through the top of the capsule, right, there's a hatch there, and he's looking down through with all these other engineers, 
and they put the three guys in the, in the command module. They, they inflate the suits, and the guy in the middle pops up like a piece of toast in a toaster because because the suits were so wide in the shoulders. There was no room for the guy in the middle. He's, like, fighting. He's popping up. So, anyway, John, you know, John gets called into the office, uh, the government guy, and he's like, uh, uh, Mr. McMullen, he says, you got to get back to ILC and tell those guys, uh, you know, this isn't working. we got to do something with these shoulders in the suit. just didn't work. So he goes back. And he's a young guy right out of college. So he goes in this meeting room, this conference room. And you had to know this guy named George Durney. George Durney was a piece of work, Matt. He was, he was one of our best engineers. In fact, he was really kind of what we consider the father of the Apollo suit. He really carried it forward into the early 60s and just did a, a, a knockout job designing the suit. Well, John, you know, he goes in this meeting and he says, uh, and all these engineers are in there, and he says, oh, well, uh, yeah, so they, they asked for his report. He said, yeah, well, it wasn't good. I sat there, and I, I watched them, and they inflated the suits, and the guy in the middle just popped up, and they told us we got to redesign this suit. It's not going to work. Well, George Durney takes his fist, and he pounds it on the table, and he says, God damn it, you get back here and tell those son of a bitches they got to make that command module wider. <laughs> and, yes. and, and he was serious. I mean, you had to know George, right? So John's sitting there. He's telling me the story, right? He's a young engineer. He's like, he's sitting there, like looking around the room, and he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what I can do that. But so he get pulled. He gets pulled aside by a guy that ended up being our president of the company, and he said, he told him, he said, look, don't worry, it's a cost plus program. They're going to have us redesign this soon. We have to redesign it. But that's to your point. That's exactly what would happen. You know, there was. It's one thing just. To have a good space that you can walk on the moon with but it's got to interface with everything it's got to you got to be able to stand up in the command module work all the the gear in there and you got to sit in the uh in the lunar module you got to do all that stuff so yeah it was a challenge all right fine awesome so so michael we're going to be running out of time soon so let me can we move on to what's coming what's what's new what's yeah yeah let's where are, anything in the notes we haven't covered yet let's get to it yeah what's what's going on with this what all right so spacesuits are what they are like you said and you said there's going to be some innovations and stuff what do you know that that we're going to do like what are we going to do with spacesuits how are they going to get better how are we going uh, what are we doing to them they're going to have to use more state-of-the-art materials, lighter weight, higher structural strength, okay? Um, so that way you can pressurize it higher. You've got to have joints that flex at the higher pressures. So maybe you use a combination of composite materials, lightweight materials. Um, so it's a materials thing, okay? you got to have right. new materials. Uh, things like the heads-up display, the HUD, right? You go into something like that. All these electronics that you can put in the suit integrate with it. Um that, that's what I see as the future. Uh, there's there's a contingency out there. There's a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Dava Newman. If you look up her uh, her resume and what she does, she's a professor at MIT. And she has this, I say it's a far out idea. It's not really that far out, but a lot of the purists in spacesuits look at it and go, that ah, can't happen. But she's looking at like a leotard type suit, right? A, 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 just a pressure suit that's literally a structural pressure suit. It's just a like a like a spandex, think of a spandex suit. So it holds the pressure that way rather than air pressure because think of what you're doing in our suits. Oh, you're getting yeah. used to have the pressure of air, right? Her yeah. idea is to take something that, that, that has mechanical pressure. It's a mechanical yeah. pressure suit. Sure, sure. So it gives you the pressure. So in concept, it's okay. But as smart as she is, um, there's still a lot, a lot of things to overcome. And I'm not going to discount her. I'm not going to say it's not going to work. Um, I was on a, a, a panel with her 
and and a couple others at Smithsonian not long ago, and we were all pitching. We only had an hour to do it, so it was really hard to do. Yeah. But um, she tried to get her point across, and she had a point's good. And it would be more custom fit for the astronaut. It would be more comfortable, maybe. Although you had a lot of pressure on all the body parts, and, and yeah. you know, if you're out there for eight hours, boy, it might be tough. So I don't know. <laughs> it's going to get itchy. Yeah, it's going to get itchy. So I'm not sure I'm buying into it yet, but I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. Yeah, so um, so one of the things I was thinking of, like, we have some really super modern materials. Like, uh, there's this material that is, is considered the lightest material ever made. I can't remember the name. It's like some kind of aerogel. Yeah, aerogel, right. Yeah. And one of the, the properties of that is it is one of the best insulators and, like, far and above anything else. Like, I mean, there's nothing that compares to it as an insulator as far as I've seen right. And it's you know, yeah. it doesn't weigh any, it doesn't weigh anything so maybe right. that's something we could use I don't know how durable it is that may that may because well, there's a lot that goes into materials if it's not durable enough if it's too expensive you can't be right. mass produced well, you know what you try to insulate against okay because like it, if you're on the moon right you're yeah. really just insulating against the uh, radiation right so you right. need aluminized mylar aluminized mylar radiates away there's no convection so the aerogel is good for convection right but it's not oh, really true okay yeah, yeah. yeah however that said. If you go to Mars, Mars has some gas on its environment, right? In, in its mm-hmm. environment, it's gas. So now you have a little convection. It's very little gas. So right. I'm, not, I'm not an expert in that. So don't quote me on any of this. But but the thing is, now you're going to have to start thinking about what we call so that outer layer of suits called the TMG, which stands for thermal micrometeorite garment. And that outer layer now, if you're going to go to Mars, might need to have a layer of the aerogel uh, to maybe uh, protect against some of the, the uh, conduction through the material because you have some air out there, some gas, some gas. And uh, so I wouldn't discount it, but, but it's not something right now we think about much of. Right. And if we, and if we manage, I mean, like Mars is, going to be, Mars is going to be so hard to put people on. Yeah. But, you know, if you think about, you know, let, let's go after I'm dead, even maybe after my kid's dead or maybe when my kid is, you know, a full grown adult, you know, well, it's going to be when she's old, okay. but going to like Titan, going to like Titan yeah, right. or Europa, yeah. you know, right. um, yeah. it, like, so Titan, we, we had somebody on the show talking about they were they were pitching their case for like. Uh, going to Titan instead of any of these other places, like that would be the optimal place to go. And they had, they had really good reasons for it. Now Titan has more atmosphere than earth does. It actually has a thicker atmosphere, lower gravity. It actually made a lot of sense. So if we were to go there, but it's freezing cold. So there's a lot of conduction there. There's like a ton of conduction there. So something like that would make sense. Absolutely. So, So yeah. So having spacesuits for every application, of course that makes sense. You know, right. so, so getting back to the, what I just said about the designing this new suit, right? We design a suit that's like, think of the automobile. I like to go back to that because everybody relates to it. You, you're inventing a new car, but what you're doing is you're just building the frame and the engine, and you're not putting the skin on it yet because you don't know what the mission is, right? You don't know right. what this car's got to do. So that's what we've done with the new suit. We've built the, the, the suit that's got the frame and the engine, but we don't know. We need a budget, right? We need a budget. We need NASA to say, okay, we're going to go to Mars, and this is date. Every time the president comes in, office every one of them has said we're going to go to the moon we're going to go to this um, meteor we're going to do you know we're going to do all the asteroid we're going to do all these different things and we don't quite end up doing it we need a firm commitment once we know what we're going to do if we're going to go to mars you go back to the moon then we can then we as engineers people at ilc can sit there and figure out what we need to do to design the suit for the mission 
we don't have a mission. We can only come up with something a skeleton that we say is state of the art. It'll take the loads. It'll take all the mechanical stuff you need. Uh, then we'll fine tune with the TMG layer and all that stuff. Right. As, as an engineer, I'll tell you what happens is someone will say, Hey, I want you to build this thing. And what's the engineer's first question? What are my requirements? Well, I have what, to have exactly. what are my requirements? I can't do anything if I don't have requirements. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's right. Good point. I have uh, a question. I just want to go back to the moon really quick. Uh, if we could just step on the moon for a second. Uh, we all what, do, Mike. We all what, want to go back. What, yeah. Yeah. what <laughs> the, um, the everlasting effects on these suits that the regolith had? Because I know they've, they've been able to you know, look at the long-term effects because you, you have them. And um, yeah. what basically did it have any effect on them? No. Um, So there's no long-term effect. Um, So the Smithsonian has the suits. They've asked me to go over a number of times. I've been over there helping them try to restore the suits and preserve them. It's more of a preservation thing. And uh, they're the experts over there when it comes to that. But they want to know, well, what's the suit made up of? And so I got to work with them a lot on it. And uh, it turns out that that the suit, uh, getting back to what I said earlier, was a lot of rubber, right? It had a lot of rubber in it, uh, latex rubber. And uh, think about taking a rubber band and putting it on your car hood and letting it sit in the sun for 50 years. (laughs) It's going to be dust. Well, literally, when you take Neil Armstrong's suit, and I've handled it before, when you, like, move the arm around, the black dust comes out of his arm because it's all decayed inside. The outside of the suit looks fine. It's a little dirty because it's been handled. It's been moved around. It's taken us toward the, the... 48 states anyway i know after the mission and so it's it's had a lot of years of use there and then plus the mission uh so they came back with with dirt on it had the lunar dust and dirt um but even over the years a lot of that's been knocked out of it so that's that's really not a problem the problem was more immediate when they were on the moon when especially by the time they got to apollo 17 and they're doing three spacewalks or three moonwalks by the time they were getting back in they, their their glove disconnects their helmet uh, all their disconnects the, the air gas disconnects they were so clogged up with dust and dirt. It was, it was really, really bad. And that was one of the things we learned from Apollo. So the next generation suit, we have to account for that. We have to have seals. We have to have protective means. And, um, and uh, I, I, if you do a little research, you'll find that our next generation suit, well, we're pitching to NASA or anyone who wants it, would be a suit where you, you have your, you're living in an environment where your suit's outside. So what it means is if you're doing a, a lunar walk or a Martian walk and you come back, you're going to have a back door that's that's your backpack right you're going to back up and lock in and you're going to open the back door and when you open that life support system that's your back door you're going to open it up and you can get out of the suit through the backpack into your living quarters and leave your suit outside and then that way all the dust and dirt you don't bring it in with you you just keep it out there yeah i saw i saw a video on that yeah that you would you'd step into your suit it because it's outside you'd step into your suit Yeah. And you'd go outside, and then when you came back in, you'd you'd go back out the way you or you go back in the way you came out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because that yeah. that regular is nasty stuff. Nasty, nasty stuff. And um, you know, you have to they'll have to figure out ways of servicing the suits because you still have to do that. So maybe they have another astronaut out there in, in, with his suit that they they bag it up or something and they bring it back in to service it somehow. But but those are the minor details you work out. But they, they, that's what they learned from Apollo. And the, lunar, and the Martian surface is probably the same way. It's probably pretty dirty. It, it yeah. is. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's nasty. All right, Mike. All right. Let's wrap this baby up because we're on time. Yeah. Uh, I guess we are on time, even though we had our uh, 
our uh, false start. We're uh, yeah, ready to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, it all worked out well. So, yes. All right. Uh, just, I, I, I guess um, I'll go ahead and wrap it up, even though it's maybe painful for people in the room. I was going to ask. That's you all right. Repeat, Dude, we'll, yeah. we'll, we will. I can, I can yeah. wrap. You want to wrap it up? Nah, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Um, uh, well, first, first, I'll, I'll ask. Um, I'll ask Bill. Bill, is there anything that you're doing now that you want to promote? Or I mean, other well, there's your book. When can we have that out? And I'll tell you what, we would love we're to have there. you. Buy it now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's for sale now. No, no, uh, no. Uh, that was that was my manuscript. I put that. I went down to uh, Staples and had to print it out for a high price just to see what it looks like. Because you know, I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but when you're typing away and it's in a Word document, it's like I want to have something in my hand. So you'll get a gallows uh, that, soon. You'll get a gallows. Copy. Yeah. So, so hopefully that's uh, it's been reviewed by some technical people. They gave it thumbs up, and now uh, we're just working through all the minor minutia of editing and all that stuff. And so I'm hoping. They're, they want to fast pace this out there and do it right. And I'm hoping by the end of the year, but that might be optimistic. But you know what? It took me a couple of years to write. It was something I wanted to do before I retired. I kind of did it. So whatever happens, happens. I'm not in a big hurry. Well, I'll, right. I'll tell awesome. you this. We would love to have you on the show um, again. When your book, when it, um, you're ready, when it, it's yeah. out, we'd love to have yeah, you back yeah. on and, um, you know, oh, I'd love to. it. Oh, you guys are fun. I had a blast. It's fun. And, you know, so, so much that we talk about. I even had a hand cast here, and I was going to talk about, you know, there's so many cool things. Oh, and, and also, you guys didn't ask it, but I, I brought a, do you know what a mag is? What's it? No. It's, uh, it's a maximum absorbency garment. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, yes. That's the containment right? system, right? Yeah, yeah, you probably more or less be in it, but yeah, that's so. You know, yeah, we could go on and on and on. So let's do it again that's, sometime. Oh, that's what that crazy cool. astronaut wore on the way to Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what they yeah. play. I don't we'll know. definitely have to. Okay, yeah, Mark. Yeah. When your book comes out, we'll have to have you back on. Yeah. Mike, you know what? Everybody's complaining about you being in a tin can, so I'm gonna just gonna go ahead and do it. Everybody, make sure uh, you check out. Let's see, uh, the links in here, Mike. Where are the links? Where are my links? Uh, go, go. Where, I, where are the links, Mike? Oh, I just, all, all I have is, um, ilcdover.com. That was all we really had. So, okay. All right. So yeah. All right. So go to ilcdover.com. It's a very cool website. I, I was there, you know, checking out, um, you know, doing my research and they, they do so many things. It's very, very cool. Built the um, airbags with Mars, you know, what's that? We built the airbags and went to Mars. Remember the oh, Mars yeah, road? Yeah. Jesus Christ, that's Damn a whole it. new show. Yeah, that's a whole. That's a whole. Yeah, we built all that. So, okay. all right, yeah. all right. So awesome. Uh, oh God, what was I going to say? Oh, Bill, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you personally, if they had a question or anything, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, I can't, well, I, I still go into work sometimes, so let's just do it that way. It's, uh, yeah, I still, I can't get, I can't leave the place. I mean, how can you walk out of that place? Right. Yeah, so, know, it, right? so it's my last name, which is a Y R E Y B is in bill at I L C Dover.com. Okay. There you go. So. Yeah. And so, so thank you, Bill. We really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about this. Um, we had a great time. It's, oh, it's great. So you have to come back when your book comes out. Oh, okay. You have to come back, and we'll uh, we'll do a whole. We'll talk about everything yeah, yeah. we didn't talk about yet because we could like go on forever. Uh, we, we've we've found that uh, when we run these shows too long, people 
kind of check out after a while. You know, less is more. So I'm not this time. <laughs> come on, they, let's do another hour. Come on. We will. No, no, we could do another hour. But we're doing it two hours at one time. We'll do another hour. Okay. All right. Pass my time anyway. You know. All right, yeah. All right Pete. I am. I am running the closer now. Okay. Go. Oh, oh shit. You have just uh, enjoyed another episode. Of, I didn't know I was doing this. Another episode of the Mythwits. Thanks for joining. Oh, crap. Damn it. I didn't know I was doing this. You said you were going to do the closer, remember? No, I did I did not say that. All right. If you have time for videos, make sure to check. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast via your favorite podcatcher. Do the like, follow, subscribe thing wherever it's appropriate. And make sure to share your favorite episode, which, holy crap, this could be it on social media to help spread Mythwits love over the entire planet mike is one of my this might be my favorite episode this season tweet wow. us at, at mythwits yeah I'll, you should be it, it's fantastic <laughs> and check out mythwits.com mythwits is produced by tsr games uh podcast network check out tsrpn.com uh, for more cool stuff mythwits is a creative Commons product like and share it with all the places just don't edit it don't change it and uh don't wear it out in space because it will not protect you at all Thanks, everybody, for listening. Tell your friends to tune in. Uh, and we'll see you next week. And Mike? Uh, in space, no one can hear this. <laughs> <laughs>